David Ortiz, The Big Poppy Story, is presented by Sam Adams. You know what? I went to the Samuel Adams factory, and I had the opportunity to taste so many different flavors that they have that really, really, really made me fall in love with their beer because now they came out with some light, which is my favorite flavor. And, uh, man, I'm, you know, it's time to Samuel Adams. <laughs> Sam Adams, fill your glass. In the previous episode of David Ortiz, The Big Poppy Story. Swing and a drive, keep the right, way back, and this ball is gone! And a little flare, center field, the ball falls for a hit, and David Ortiz, David Ortiz, his fourth career walk-off home run. David Ortiz put his team on his broad shoulders and carried them back from a 3-0 deficit in the 2004 ALCS with back-to-back walk-off hits over a 24-hour span in games 4 and 5. The Sox became the first team to ever win a playoff series after being down three games to none, and the best part was who they did it against. The Yankees. I mean, this guy is the greatest postseason player ever. To hear them talk about what David Ortiz meant. The American dream is so important for all Dominicans. David Ortiz You can't find a more authentic person. Because he did have a chip on his shoulder. David Ortiz. The most important Red Sox of all. I was here watching the whole thing. I saw a Black Hawk just flying by it my house. It was amazing. You don't, see, you don't see that every day. This is our fucking city. And nobody gonna dictate our freedom. My name is David Ortiz. They call me Big Poppy. This is my story. After closing the deal and bringing Boston its first world championship since 1918, Big Poppy became a sensation and his big, warm personality was the perfect fit for the role. He went on all of the major talk shows and was soon pitching everything from hot sauce and salsa to vitamin water, JetBlue Airlines, and Dunkin' Donuts. He even made it to the cover of a Wheaties cereal box. Big Poppy was sports' newest superstar. My name is Alex Radetzky. I have been working with David since 2003. I have been his marketing agent or exclusive marketing agent, so focus on all off-field affairs. I've never seen somebody who had more of that quote-unquote it factor as far as our business is concerned, but even outside. And you're talking about a guy who can light up a room with his personality. He was actually in my wedding party on the day of the wedding, and he's wearing his sunglasses indoors inside the church. I said, during the wedding, can you take the sunglasses off? And he's like, Why? I tried to explain to him, you know, how I could come across the wrong way. He takes his sunglasses off, walks over, he faces the front, he crosses himself, he's, you know, he's a very religious person, stands over in his place, the wedding starts, and my wife starts walking down the aisle, and he pulled out his phone, and he started taking pictures and videoing it, and he had the flash on. So everybody started looking at him as he's flashing, and my wife's walking down the aisle. But people are cracking up. They find it hysterical. If anybody else did it, you'd be like, hey, you know what? Cut it out. David does it. It's the hit of the show. My wife's cracking up. It was authentic, but it just kind of it goes down to, hey, like, you know, when David does something, not only is it genuine and real, but he, he can get away with things because that's him. That's him. And it, it resonates with people. And, you know, that's one in a million. Teammate Kevin Millar. 
He's got the ability to drive to the park in an orange Lamborghini Countach with Big Poppy on the license plate. No problem at all. That's who he is. If I drove that car to the to the park with Big One Five on the license plate, you're gonna call me the biggest whatever names you want to call me. It doesn't make sense. But Big Poppy is truly Big Poppy, and he's never said no to an autograph. He's never said no to a hug from a kid. He's never not dropped anything he had in his hands to sign anything for anybody. And his heart is bigger than his bat, and I truly mean that. But at home, he was still David Ortiz. His wife, Tiffany, wouldn't have it any other way. Michael Hawley is a sports talk radio host in Boston. He also co-wrote Poppy's autobiography in 2017. I remember one time we were doing an interview. This is late in the book process, so one of the final interviews... And we're sitting there and we're talking. We've been talking for an hour and a half, two hours. And all of a sudden, I heard this voice say, honey. He's like, yeah. You know, it's windy outside. That lawn furniture is going to blow away. Could you go out there and put it in the garage? Okay. And I was thinking, wow, this is like every guy can relate to this. This is just your wife telling you to do some things around the house whether it's going in the basement and, you know, putting this together or going in the garage and taking care of that. So I saw a lot of those moments where he was just David Ortiz, a guy. That's my dog. Happy! She, she's fighting to get down here because, you know, I've been down here for a while. So, Tiff, can you move Fox? I mean, Happy or Foxy, whoever is fighting to come down here? I think the dogs are, like, screaming for coming down here or something. I can hear Happy... Is that happy right there? She's like crying for coming down here or something. Can you get him out of the house or something? Thanks. Still basking in the afterglow of breaking the so-called curse, the Red Sox were sports' biggest story, and Big Poppy was now the face of the team. But that offseason, a big change came when the man who'd helped bring Ortiz to Boston, his idol, Pedro Martinez, had signed in free agency with the New York Mets, and the Sox weren't the same team. In 2005, Ortiz came in second in MVP voting, but the Sox were swept in the first round of the playoffs. Following that year, more key Red Sox pieces from the 2004 title team, like Johnny Damon and Kevin Millar, left as well. In 2006, Poppy had a career year with 54 home runs and 137 RBIs good for third in MVP voting. But his team didn't even make the playoffs. Winning in 2004 was something that uh, people, I think the year went by in 2005 and beginning of 2006, and people were celebrating that still. But 2006 was a rough season, and and I remember after the season, I have a great season that year, but we finished like third in division or something like that. And I never been like a guy that cared about my number. Who cared about you having good numbers if you doesn't go anywhere? So I basically, they come into the front office to thank me for, you know, that was the year that I break the single season record for the, for the team in home runs. And they were pretty much proud of me for doing that, especially in a, in a season where, we didn't go anywhere. So they basically was telling me that they were tensing me for keep the fans distracted with the home run chase. And right away I told them, 
yeah, but I don't really give a shit about that. I give a shit about winning. I want to go back to the old form where we were going to the playoff and and winning championships. So I need you guys this offseason to put a good ball club together so we can win ball games and we can walk into the playoffs. With several new pieces like pitcher Daisuke Matsuzaka, J.D. Drew, and rookie Dustin Pedroia behind Big Poppy, the Sox made an about face in 2007. They got back to the playoffs, winning the American League East behind 35 homers, 117 RBIs, and a career-best 332 batting average for Mortiz. And in the postseason, he continued his dominance, batting 370 with three homers and 10 ribbies as the Sox won another title. It's over! The Red Sox have swept the Colorado Rockies. The Red Sox are the world champions of baseball for 2007. That made two in just four seasons. And for Big Poppy, the second was just as sweet. Every time you win in World Series, bro, it's, it don't matter if you do it now, if you do it back to back to back. Ask Jira about that. As in V really notice any different on one championship from the other. Winning is a winning. It's not different. I celebrated 2007 and 2013 just like I celebrated 2004. The Boston Red Sox become the first team in the 21st century to win two World Series titles. Can you believe it? But after the title in 2007, things began to turn again. The following season, they lost in the seventh game of the ALCS to the Tampa Bay Rays. And then Big Poppy began the 2009 season in a slump. Once again, the media spotlight was shining directly on Ortiz. But this time, it wasn't as warm. The Boston media is hard. If you do well, they talk shit about you. If you do bad, they talk shit about you. If you go back to the world, they talk shit about you also. So I figured that I wonder why superstar player never got along with the media here because it was too hard. I mean, so what if I go in slum? You know I'm a good player, and you know I'm going to figure it out and bounce back. So who the fuck cared about you bad talking about me for two weeks when you know that at the end of the season, my number is going to be there? So I learned that it was all about selling newspaper. It wasn't even about the interest of having a good or a bad player on the team that can help you to win ball game. It's not all about any of it. I think that they push, and, and, and I'm telling you because of my own experience, that I was struggling, and they put so much pressure on the manager that the manager had to go out of his way and make a decision benching me. And it was all about because of the media. I was in a slump. I was struggling. And basically the media started saying that I was done, that I was washed up. Legendary baseball analyst Peter Gammons. He struggled so much early in the season there was talk about him being released. Because uh, maybe he was starting to get old. He was in his mid-30s at the time. Nesson had posted something on the, the you know how teams put questions fans to call in or text and was mm-hmm. should David Ortiz be released that was wasn't really something that David loved a lot and he shouldn't have I was with the Blue Jays in 2009 
and Poppy got up to a rough start and, you know, was kind of coming to the field. So he drives to the field and this Toyota Corolla and, you know, picks me up and I'm like, or whatever it was, like his buddy's car that he was driving Poppy to the yard. So I kind of get the car and he's got no jewelry on. He's dressed in a little collar golf shirt and, you know, he's hitting about 170 and the sky is falling and, and I'm playing for the Blue Jays this time. And I'm like, dog, first of all, where are you at? Who are you right now? You got no bling on you. You've got nothing going. You, you picked me up in a Honda Accord or a Crow, whatever this is. Where's Poppy at? Where's the swag? And he looks at me. He's like, bro, you know what? That's why you my boy. This is why you my boy. The next day, he's got the red Lamborghini. He had a half a million dollars in jewelry on him. And I'm telling you the truth. I'm over that dugout, and I'm sitting there watching him. And he hit his first home run or whatever, you know, his first one in a long time. But whatever it was, he went dead center. He went dead center the day that he got blinged out and dressed up and his hat was on, his leather shirt and the whole and – it, it, and it goes on. He's the greatest ever. And I'm like, see, you were walking around with your shoulders down and everything was just – sky was falling. You got to be Big Poppy if you want to hit like Big Poppy. And that was it. The Poppy everyone knew began to emerge again that summer. But on July 30th, 2009, everything changed. A New York Times report published that day named David Ortiz as one of the players who had tested positive for performance-enhancing drugs back in 2003. And then, the Boston media added fuel to the fire. Quote, Big Poppy was on the juice, and only the terminally naive could be shocked. And quote, David Ortiz lied to you. It seems safe to say that his entire Red Sox career is a lie, or just some of the things written in the immediate aftermath. Here's Howard Bryant. He's a senior writer for ESPN.com and ESPN, the magazine. He's also written several books, including Juicing the Game, Drugs, Power, and the Fight for the Soul of Major League Baseball. One thing that I don't think I've spoken too much about, I talked to David a day before that report came out. He and I were on the phone, and there are few people in this game who have been as good to me and I've enjoyed covering as David. David Ortiz has done as much for me as a reporter as any athlete I've ever covered. There's no doubting that. If you think we enjoy covering athletes having PED issues, you're out of your mind. There's nothing fun about it. David and I were on the phone, and David had said to me, look, do you know why I don't use PEDs? I don't use PEDs. It's not just for me. It's because I don't need my kid walking down the street or walking down the hallways in school saying, your father's a cheater. I don't need that. I'm not going to have that for my family. Not two days later, his name gets released. And I felt like a schmuck. David's wife, Tiffany Ortiz. That was a really tough time because I've watched the man work. I've watched him put in hours of studying. I've watched him not be able to sleep because he's thinking about the picture he sees the next day, you know. I mean, he just works so hard to be better at, you know, every part of his life, but specifically baseball during his career. And and then to have someone come out and say something that might take away from all of that is just, it's so frustrating. And I didn't think it was fair. David is such a sincere person. And I think when he feels like people doubt him or doesn't believe in what he was saying 
I think that's the hardest part. The PED thing. I think it was the biggest bullshit that any athlete can put up with when it comes down to my situation. And if I don't say anything, I'm hiding something. And if I defend myself because all the stuff that was going on at the time with some of the players, they don't believe me. But what people never realize, some people never realize that my case was different than everybody else. People were pointing finger at me with no proof. It was like a word in the air just because everything that is going on with all the superstar. Because everybody else, they told everybody else what they were doing and where they get the shit from. But me. It was like, okay, this guy stole a car from me. What's the proof? I don't have any, but I think he did it. The testing in 2003 had been the first of its kind by Major League Baseball to address an issue that had been looming over the sport for years. The primary purpose of the anonymous so-called survey testing negotiated between Rob Manfred, then the game's top lawyer, now its commissioner, and the players' union, was that if at least 5% of all players tested came back with positive results for steroid use, the following year, an actual drug testing policy would be implemented. 104 players came back with positive tests. Of those, there were at least 10 doubted for scientific or procedural reasons. Regardless, because the number was well above 5% of the total player population, there was no need to retest. It just served to trigger the new policy for the next season. Though here's where it got tricky. 2003 test results were supposed to be sealed and then destroyed, but when the names on the list were seized by federal agents investigating the distribution of drugs to athletes, some of those names were leaked. David Ortiz was one of them. That was the year of the anonymous testing, where he supposedly tested positive. Now, the problem is that the Players Association did not protect the samples, and there are stories that came out about different guys who flunked tests that year. J.C. Romero, one spring training, tested positive for something that he bought at General Nutrition. And the thing that he tested positive for wasn't on the label. But it was on the label other places. I guess whoever made the product cut some stuff off the label. And to which now Commissioner Rob Manfred said to me, I realize you feel it's unfair, but they just have to have doctors check everything. That's why we have to do this. And the Players Association really backed Ortiz when the story came out. It was much more of a story in New York, I think, than it was in Boston. I lived this confusion for a while, but at some point I was like, you know what, though? Now I know. Once I dig into this, that came out because of the Yankees and Red Sox rivalry. At the time, I never thought about but a couple of years down the road, I went like, wait a minute. How come they getting guys from the Yankees? They're not getting nobody from the Red Sox. But the newspaper that come out saying this is from New York. If I would be playing for a team on the West Coast or probably a National League team or a team that had nothing that had to do with the Yankees, that probably never pop up. But it did. And who was the big fella? here in, in Boston at the time. It was me. It was nobody else. 
And if you look at the report, it was based on, oh, this list came out that his name is in it. Yeah, but what did he use? What did he test positive for? Still into this day, I don't know what I test positive for and nobody ever going to tell me what I test positive for. And not only that, bro, I got drug tested more than anybody in baseball and I never failed a test. And I continue banging. But it doesn't make a difference what you test positive for. If it's on the list, it's on the list. That's that, right? I mean, there's no way around that. The only thing about that list, the issue that I had was, one, who's to say, because it was so anonymous, that somebody just didn't have a gripe against somebody else and they started outing people or just, how do we know? The whole list supposedly was destroyed. The evidence was destroyed. It's all, there's no tracing any of this. So we're never really going to get the truth. So that's always problematic. The second thing that did give it credence to me was the fact that the only people, to my recollection, who were outed on that list were the people who went really public professing their innocence. And that resonated to me a little bit. Sammy Sosa came out and sort of laughed about being, you know, and he's like, not me, not me, not me. And then all of a sudden his name comes up. Maybe the whole thing was fake. Maybe the whole thing was a fraud. I don't know. Do people have reason to smear David Ortiz? Absolutely. I mean, the heightened attitudes between Red Sox and Yankees and, and players and, and all of it, it wouldn't surprise me if somebody wanted to hurt somebody else. I'm not that naive to think that people wouldn't do that. The fact is, David Ortiz would have some of the best years of his career during the testing era that followed. In 2016, at Ortiz's last game at Fenway Park, Commissioner Manfred addressed the 2003 report. He said, quote, The list was supposed to be confidential, and I take very seriously a commitment on confidentiality, and I think it's really unfortunate that anybody's name was ever released publicly. He continued, quote, there were legitimate scientific questions about whether or not those were truly positives, okay? And then he went on to say, quote, even if your name was on that list, it's entirely possible that you were not a positive. Manfred didn't say whether David Ortiz was one of those possible false positives, but he did say this, quote, I do know that he's never been a positive at any point under our program. I thought it was interesting that the commissioner's office, which has been tough about PEDs, felt that there wasn't any proof of the story of David Ortiz testing positive. All tests were supposedly anonymous. And um, I think Manfred was upholding the spirit of the agreement that led to regular testing because more than 5% of the players tested positive. It was supposed to be just an anonymous names, just a number. So that was the agreement the owners and Rob negotiated. And I thought that he did the right thing in upholding what the agreement was. I don't know a single person who would spend time with David Ortiz and not feel better about life. He's that good a person. However, as a Hall of Fame voter, do I think he's going to be exonerated? And when I say exonerated, do I mean Exoneration to me means when his time comes up, he gets 80, 90% first try because that's how good he was on the field. Or he gets 85%. Do I think that PEDs are going to keep him from being a first ballot Hall of Famer? To me, that's the litmus test. It is my sincere hope that David Ortiz is clean because he told me he was clean and he looked me in the eye and said he was clean. And I, and I don't want to think otherwise. 
But this story that we're talking about right now is one of the reasons why I don't vote for the Hall of Fame anymore, because I don't feel like I can make clear judgments that make me comfortable. I feel like it becomes that sort of popularity contest that Albert Bell told me to go fuck off, so I'm not going to vote for him. But David Ortiz invites me to the Dominican, so therefore I am. I just don't know what to do on that. But I can say one thing. Everybody loves David Ortiz, and there are some guys who look you in the eye and, and, and tell you that they are uh, contrite about things that happen, and then there are guys who weren't. And David, to this day, has always maintained that he never did anything. And so we'll see what the voters say. But to me, exoneration comes from what that Hall of Fame total is. I think the only people who will be prevented from going into Cooperstown because of steroids, etc., were people who tested positive and were suspended. Rafael Palmero's already missed. Manny Ramirez failed test twice. I don't think he'll make it. And that's sort of a fact of life. But I think Ortiz will go in easily. But there are a lot of players now that were rumored to be suspicious. I don't believe them until there's proof. Yeah, that's the position they put us in, and that's why I'm mad. They never gave us any clarity. And I think that puts the fan in the same position to put the writers in, which is this sort of selective idea without any sort of clarity. And Major League Baseball gave us guidelines on Pete Rose, and they gave us guidelines on the Black Sox. They never gave us any guidelines on the steroid era. They just left it all up to us. So, you know, that clutch swing that kind of looked like a lariat around his head after the ball went deep, that's your memory of David Ortiz? Keep it. And I think that's what it needs to be because I don't think that you're going to get satisfaction in anything else. David Ortiz, The Big Poppy Story. It's important to protect your home with a home security system. But how many home security companies are actually thinking... How can we protect your home and your privacy? That's why I love SimpliSafe. SimpliSafe has a camera that you can control from your phone, but they want to protect your home and your privacy. So they came up with this brilliant idea, a privacy shutter for their camera. SimpliSafe wanted you to be able to hear the shutter click so you know it's close. And they needed to work for the entire lifespan of the system. I'm a person that I travel a lot. I take my family on vacation a lot. So I definitely need something to give me security when I'm not at home. And not only when I'm not at home, when I'm at home and I want to be peaceful, I want to be sleeping safe without worry about anything. So Simply Safe give me the opportunity to be safe for sure. Check out Simply Safe today at simplysafe.com slash puppy. That's simplysafe.com slash puppy. To learn more about Simply Safe today, simplysafe.com slash puppy. Though the 2009 season was one of Ortiz's worst, finishing with just a 238 batting average, his lowest since 2001 in Minnesota, he did finish the season much stronger than he'd started it. But the Red Sox were swept in the first round of the playoffs by the Angels. And though his numbers were better over the next two years, for the team, things were going from bad to worse. At the end of the 2011 season, the Sox had an historic collapse, losing 20 of their last 27 games and becoming the first team in history to have a nine-game lead in their division in September and then fail to make the playoffs. 
Then, in 2012, the Sox were picked by some to finish first in their division, and they finished dead last, 26 games behind the Yankees. There weren't many bright spots for Ortiz or the Red Sox during those years. But then, at the start of the 2013 season, something happened that nobody could have ever imagined. Patriots Day is a Massachusetts state holiday, always on the third Monday of April. It celebrates the Battle of Lexington and Concord, the first battles of the Revolutionary War, which took place April 19, 1775. Schools are closed, and most people have the day off. Every year since 1897, the Boston Marathon has been run on Patriots Day, and every year since 1972, the Red Sox have played an early game at Fenway Park, beginning at 11.05 a.m., so the game will end in time for the fans to go watch the marathon, the biggest event of the year in Boston. In 2013, Patriots Day fell on Monday, April 15th, with the Sox wrapping up a three-game sweep of the Tampa Bay Rays. Well, normally what we do, if we're not leaving town, we go the finish line and wait for everybody. You go with your family, with friends, you know, like I can't tell you how many times I have been uh, at Boyston Street after we play at 11 a.m. that game so we can, you know, enjoy the marathon and everything because it's part of us. It's part of what we are. It's been that way for as long as I can remember as a little kid, and uh, it's always a special day, and it means so much more than just a, a marathon and a baseball game. Don Orsillo is from the Boston area, and he was the TV voice of the Red Sox from 2001 to 2015. He called the game that day. That day was very special. Uh, Mike Napoli hit a walk-off double off the wall. Red Sox win. We are headed on the road to Cleveland for a short road trip, and we're headed down the ramps. And as we get down to the bus area, uh, we always receive a police escort to the airport. Our escort is leaving us and all of a sudden taking off from the buses. And we really were not... Uh, sure at the time what was going on, and that's where our uh, detail left to go. Uh, so that's kind of where the story starts. It was shock. At 2.49 p.m., two separate bombs had exploded within 12 seconds of each other near the finish line of the marathon. Three people were killed. 29-year-old Crystal Marie Campbell 23-year-old Lou Lingsey, and 8-year-old Martin Richard. Hundreds of others were injured, including 16 who lost limbs. We get on the airplane and we fly to Cleveland for the series and literally everybody is glued to the TVs watching you know, various news outlets updating on us and what's going on in our home city. It affected everybody on that bus, everybody on that chartered flight. Got to Cleveland and I think guys felt very detached that they were not back home again. And you, know, you could see the team kind of uh, rallying around it very quickly and wanting to get home. And uh, I remember that series going by. It seemed like it took forever. It was a three-game series, but it seemed like it was a month. David Ortiz didn't make the trip to Cleveland. He stayed home to rehab the sore Achilles that had kept him out of the first two weeks of the season. And while he was home, he watched a manhunt unfold in real time. After murdering Sean Collier, 
an MIT policeman. Two brothers, who had been identified as the perpetrators of the bombing, were on the run. And the focus of the search had narrowed to Watertown, Mass., about 20 minutes away from Ortiz's house. Watching the whole thing, I saw a Black Hawk just flying by my house. When you see a Black Hawk, man, you hit the panic button because you don't see that every day. When you see a Black Hawk, you either want to hide or you feel like there's something going on around you. I saw that going by my backyard because everything went down at, at Watertown. So I guess they got to fly back here to get there or whatever. I feel the fear. You got to stay at home because you can face a shooting. That's not freedom. How do you feel when somebody's fucking with your shit? That's exactly how I feel. I feel like somebody was missing with us. Somebody was missing with what we work for every day. Somebody was missing with the freedom that we have fight for through the history. Somebody was trying to put fear on us. Because when a bombing going down and a terror attack go down, you just want to stay at home. You don't want to go anywhere. You don't want your kids to have a life. You don't want nobody to have a life. You want to be overprotecting. So I'm watching on TV. I was I was watching how everything went down, and and a lot of anger came out. Michael Holly is a sports talk radio host in Boston. Keep this in perspective. That Friday they had a game scheduled. It was supposed to be his first game of the year, and the governor Deval Patrick says shelter in place. There was a manhunt in this city, and he was here, and he was watching the news just like everybody else. And he was thinking about his family like everybody else and thinking, like, why is this happening? And getting angry about the people who uh, wanted to terrorize us and hurt innocent people at the marathon finish line. On April 19th, four days after the bombing, at 8.45 p.m., the hunt for the Zarnayev brothers ended. One of the brothers was killed and the other apprehended. At 8.58 p.m., the Boston Police Department tweeted, Captured. The hunt is over. The search is done. The terror is over. And justice has won. Suspect in custody. The next day, the Red Sox were scheduled to have their first home game at Fenway since the attack. The world would be watching as sports returned to Boston. James Shields the baseball game was really kind of secondary but really just people getting back together again singing the national anthem and being part of a group in the middle of the city of boston some forty thousand strong uh, was a pretty good message that we're okay and um, you know all the first responders were on the field as part of it too and i just remember how emotional the whole day was it also happened to be big poppy's season debut and i was working for nesson at the time i was in the dugout when they had the ceremony on the field of a Saturday game. And, you know, they had so many people who were either wounded, who were, were heroes, all the police. The city had been so fragmented, torn apart that week. But that Saturday, on the video board, was an eight-year-old who was killed in that bombing. And Ortiz charged down the dugout. I was in the dugout at the end. And looked at me and he said, my bleeping son is eight years old. They killed a kid my son's age. It's just, it's terrible. And he was shaking. Well, when you see an eight-year-old kid lost his life, 
and you have an, an eight-year-old at your house running around and just fooling every single memory of your life experience, just watching and doing things, and all of a sudden you hear that a, a child that had nothing that had to do with that end up losing his life because this dumb fuck that just come in and try to do something stupid, it just make you angry. Oh man, could be him. God save. Could be him. It's something that uh, it made no sense, man. I got to meet all those families that lost family member, that lost body part. We deal with them every day. It frustrates you because you look at that person and you be like, that person don't deserve that. Why is that guy missing both of his legs now? Why is that family missing a member? A kid just lost his life. All those things come to your head, come to your mind, and they give you anger. So one by one, the team went out onto the field. David was one of the last ones. And as he walked by me to go up the steps and go out on the field, I could tell the, he was so charged from that video that I wonder, he wasn't supposed to speak. He spoke for everybody in the Wingler. This jersey that we wear today, it doesn't say Red Sox. It says Boston. We want to thank you, Mayor Menino, Governor Patrick, the whole police department for the great job that they did this past week. This is our fucking city. And nobody gonna dictate our freedom. Stay strong. Thank you. That's one of those moments, you know, I guess we never know really what happened and what didn't happen with Paul Revere and people like that. That was a moment for anyone under 75 years old is one of the greatest moments in Boston history. When I heard it, I was with some friends that I've known for 50 years. We have played ball together as kids. And I said to my friend, Cuquillo, who is a naturalized American, I said, Cookie, that is my son. That is my son. That is my son. I was supremely proud of my son. God take pieces and put it in place. To be honest with you, I wasn't even expecting me going out there to say anything. It was out of nowhere. Nobody asked me for it. It wasn't scripted. It was me who I am. I'm pretty sure that anybody in the stands that was feeling what I was feeling at the time, which it was everybody that would feel the same way, would have done what I did. I even want to say more, but I realized at some point that I was on national television. That's why I was... Because, to be honest with you, when I was doing that, I feel like I was inside a room talking to myself, trying to let fear behind and whoever or whatever I had to face from that point and up, I want to let you know what the fuck is up. You know what I'm saying? I'm not scared. Yeah, you bring fire in, you're going to get fire back at you. That was me in my mind because that's how I always been. 
and I never thought about the moment, to be honest with you. I, I just say what I say because I was angry. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what your skill and color is. What matter is what I can do for you today. How we can survive. How we can fight back to things that we don't agree with. That's what America had taught me. That's what I learned. I had learned since I walked into this country. This country give you that freedom. This country give you that kind of life for you to express yourself. I come from a country where we had to fight for our freedom just like it happened here. And once you get that, you don't, you don't want to let nobody mess with it. I think it's no surprise that it's often an immigrant who um, expresses the most sort of magnetic love for a place, no matter what its defects are. Pulitzer Prize-winning Dominican-American author and MIT professor Juno Diaz emigrated to the United States when he was six years old. Who loves a country more than someone who has given up everything to be in that country? Um, And I think, you know, one of the things we rarely talk about is how much people like David Ortiz lost, even on the road to gaining the world. It's easy to kind of... uh, Let that go by the wayside when you count the money he got, when you count the adulation he has, when you count his success. But loss is loss. Even if you win the lottery the next day, being hit by a car the day before, you know, that shit still hurts. So I think it's sort of telling of the immigrant experience and how immigrants um, remake themselves and how immigrants are really protective of the homes they have because they know how easy it is to lose a home. What's true about all of this is the depth of David Ortiz's feeling for his adopted home city. The way that David comes out for his team, that is quite beautiful. He is in some ways the best of us and not many folks can live up to that example. And as we've seen, not many folks do. He was always himself. He was always authentic, take it or leave it. And a lot of people took it because he wasn't perfect, because he wasn't some manufactured, scripted superstar. He was all him, rough edges and all. And I think a lot of people could relate to that. The fact that it wasn't scripted makes it even better. He didn't speak like a a member of the Red Sox who's from the Dominican Republic. He spoke like a member of the Red Sox who was from Roxbury or, or Beacon Hill. Comedian Bill Burr. I actually laughed and I was thinking, man, this guy's been in Boston too long because he sounded, even with the Dominican accent, he sounded like a Boston. That's how a Boston person would express themselves. Boston is the only place I've ever heard the F word used as a way to pause and collect your thoughts. You know what I mean? It'd be like, you didn't do that. Yeah, I did. When? Fucking four years ago. Well, who was there? Oh, it was me, Mikey, Eddie, fucking Jason, Mark. This is the only part of the, the, the world I've ever heard. And it's totally acceptable. <laughs> I, I remember being working in a warehouse and seeing a guy one time. He was, he was trying to call this guy and he couldn't remember his name. So he just yells across the warehouse. He goes, fucking Mike. <laughs> But there was that dramatic pause. So he literally just yelled, fucking. And it just hung in the air for what felt like 10 seconds. Then he turns around, like, is this guy got like Tourette's? And then he just yells, Mike. And he's like, oh, he's trying to talk to Mike. He couldn't remember his name. So when he goes, this is our fucking city, 
I was like, yeah, he is officially a Bostonian. And think about how well you have a second language down that you accidentally curse. Like, I always, always wanted to learn another language, and I always thought that you, you know you have the language down when you stub your toe and you stay in that second language. You know? Like, I know a little bit of French, you know, je m'appelle Guillaume, bonjour, bye bye, stub my toe. God damn, motherfucker, I'm going to go back to my... I really felt like <laughs> when you have a language down is when you, you stub your toe or somebody kicks you in the balls and you stay, you stay in the pocket. He did. He stayed in the pocket. And there was a truth to it. There was a passion to it. And as always, a positivity when he did that. And the same way he sort of, that whole team just sort of lifted that negative vibe. Like I felt by him saying that, you know, it made you, you know, stop being so slumped over and just feeling so, you know, just like devastated. Because it's just such a pointless act. It's like it didn't change anything. All you did was just hurt a bunch of innocent people. Just to hear him say that, just kind of, I don't know, it's kind of zapped you out of that shock of like, why would somebody do that? Pitcher Tim Wakefield played for the Red Sox from 1995 to 2011. They needed a spark to start the healing process. And David was the guy. And he was the right guy. Uh, I think that particular moment for David kind of sealed his legacy in in the city. Not only was he a great player, but that moment, what he said on the field, spoke from the heart. And I think that brought the team and the city together and was able to help uh, the city heal and mourn at the same time. Can't say enough good things about David because he is everything that you think he is and more. No question. No, no question. I mean, I think uh, most of the rest of what people will point to is him hitting, (laughs) him being on the field with a bat in his hand and and, uh, what he did as a baseball player. That transcended all of that. I mean, that brought him to a new level. He's one of us. Uh, he is a Bostonian, and uh, him speaking to the fans, uh, to the world, uh, brought him to a new level of iconic in, in my estimation. I, I can't remember a more emotional game that I called in my life. For weeks, the police commissioner allowed officers that chased the, the car down in Watertown, was involved in the firefights, and so many things that happened. He gave them duty at Fedway Park, which was like just rewarding them so they could just hang out in the dugout during the games and things like that, which was a wonderful thing to do. So we used to have conversations. Dustin Pedroy and I, who used to always be at the ballpark very early, would talk to all the police. And it was amazing to hear them talk about what David Ortiz meant to them and what he meant to the city and how he was a legitimate hero. The, The Monday... After he made that speech, I was on Morning Joe, and and Joe Scarborough asked me, is David Ortiz real? And I said, well, you can't find a more authentic person. As Marine officers are taught, authenticity is the first tenet of leadership. That was leadership in the city of Boston, and it meant it really began the hardening and the comeback and winning for Boston. We were just trying to do our, our best. But after that moment, the whole season went perfect. I, I don't think I have been on a ball club that doesn't have many superstars playing that good in a season. Even in 2004, 2007, 2003, no. The whole season, it was punching coming from this different direction. 
Yeah, when you have a guy in the middle of the lineup like me and Manny, and then you have a little guy like Johnny Damon, and then you have a, 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 a batting title winner playing third base, and then all of a sudden you have Jason Baritek behind home play, Pedro Martinez pitching in the mouth. You expect those guys to take over. That wasn't the situation in 2013. 2013, we have probably three recognizable guys and all of a sudden everybody was like from different places and we just kick ass that season but everything began after the marathon bombing it was like the motivation was there every day like we gotta do something that season the Sox hung a 617 jersey commemorating Boston's area code in their dugout and their motto, Boston Strong, was everywhere. After coming in last place in their division the season before, they came right back to win the American League East. In Game 2 of their opening playoff series against Tampa Bay, it was reported by Gordon Edis for ESPN that Poppy wore a red belt, a red tie on a black shirt, a black jacket, and red suede shoes to the game. And according to Sox catcher David Ross, Ortiz, quote, came in and told me, I wore my A-game today because I'm going to be doing interviews after the game. He wore his best clothes. Only Poppy can do that. Then Ortiz told some more teammates, including third baseman Will Middlebrooks, why he was expecting to be doing so many post-game interviews. Middlebrooks said, quote, he told some guys before the game he was going to hit two home runs, and he did. That's pretty impressive. A couple of us heard him say it, including the two predicted home runs that game. He'd hit five that postseason, including a clutch grand slam in game two of the ALCS and two homers in the World Series, where he batted for a 688 average and a 1.948 OPS. It was more than enough to earn Poppy the 2013 World Series MVP. But more than anything, it had put the final stamp on his legacy in Boston sports history. After so many decades of despair, the Sox had won three championships in 10 years, with Ortiz the only player to be part of all three titles. At the start of the season, he'd been the voice of the city when Bostonians most needed it, and as the MVP of the series, he'd delivered to his team when they most needed it. And though it's impossible to say that true closure could ever come after such a dark day like Patriots Day in 2013, the Red Sox victory and subsequent parade through Boston on November 2nd did as much to heal the wounds as anything else could have. I remember the parade as we were you know, going down Boston uh, in the duck boats coming to a stop and wondering, huh, what's going on here? Well, two boats ahead of us, a couple of guys had jumped off with the championship trophy and a 617 jersey right at the finish line and paid tribute to those uh, who had lost their lives and the victims of the marathon bombing. I think it was Johnny Gomes' idea because I got there right after because I was coming in the truck that was behind them it wasn't like anybody talk about it. They went there, they got the trophy, and they put it down there. So when I was coming, I don't know that that was happening. But when I got to the finish line and I saw that trophy right there, I got goosebumps. Like my whole body almost went numb. 
because you are in the middle of a celebration, you got the season, the way it went down, and then you got the parade going all the way around the city until you get to Boston. Now, when you get once you get to Boston, you start your memory start just shifting back and and bringing those moments back, and all of a sudden you're facing the traffic at the finish line. It was remarkable. It was all, of course, bigger than baseball. A reminder of how sports can bring people together, especially during challenging times, but also how anyone can pick themselves up in the face of despair and show resolve. To many, it's a distinctly American way of approaching life. Big Poppy had become an American citizen in 2008, and when he addressed Fenway Park five years later, he spoke in so many ways for not just Boston, but the entire country. He may have been born and raised in the Dominican Republic, but his greatest moment had been uniquely American. And the following season, the Sox were rewarded with a trip to the White House. Now I thought I invited the Red Sox here today, but there must be a mistake because I don't, I don't recognize all these clean shaven guys. Well, the opportunity to meet Obama, I was walking in front of history just to begin with. Besides his being an unbelievable president, I was walking in front of the first black president that had ever controlled this country. You don't get that opportunity every day. And then, you know, you hear about the way Obama do things or did things. You want to get to meet someone like that, which is, I think, the problem with the way Donald is running the country. Donald Trump, you know, I think a lot of guys are mad. A lot of guys are angry about situation and the way things have been handled. It's a little confusing. This country has been one of the greatest country in the history of life, in the history of living. You don't want to screw that up. You want to make sure that whenever anyone in any place on earth talk about the United States of America, things still be the same way people heard about before. I'm uh, very happy the way things are going because it's too much, especially against immigrants. I'm an immigrant. Yeah, I'm an American citizen, but I'm an immigrant. I know for a fact how hard a lot of people work coming into this country to make this country better. This country is unbelievable, you know, like I can thank this country enough for the things that I have been able to accomplish with the hard work through the years, because I don't think there's any other country that can give you the much opportunity that this country gives you. So that's why I always look at this country like it's my own country, because everything that I've done for me, my family, and, and to me, it's very important. How does sport bring people together? Those are the things that we need to focus on. Big Poppy has always had a way of bringing people together. Some people just have that gift. And David Ortiz has used that gift and his platform for good over and over again. And not just on the baseball field. In 2005, the David Ortiz Children's Fund was born. And in the years since, the fund has generated millions in donations to provide life-saving surgeries for children in the New England area and in the Dominican Republic. 
He's literally saved the lives of hundreds of kids. I realized that two parts of my son's life are interconnected. There is a baseball career, and then there is this altruistic person who has saved 700 lives. But it's the second one that has the greatest impact on this world. That the 700 lives might go on to save the world, to discover the cures for diseases. This, this is the great satisfaction. David Ortiz, The Big Poppy Story. David Ortiz, The Big Poppy Story is presented by Sam Adams. When it's time to spend time with somebody else, your family or friends, Sam Adams is stuck in my bar at my house. Oh man, barbecue, I mean, hanging out with the family, watch games. I know New England most of the time is cold, but whenever it get hot, you know, it's time to Sam Adams. <laughs> Sam Adams, fill your glass. Poppy had two more excellent years with the Sox in 2014 and 15, hitting 35 and 37 homers respectively and over 100 RBIs in each season, still giving pitchers fits as he approached 40. It was no one way that you could pitch him. You know what I mean? Like, you had to pitch him different in Yankee Stadium than you pitched him different at Fenway. And I didn't figure that out until he almost retired. CeCe Sabathia of the Yankees is a Cy Young Award winner heading into his 18th year in the majors. You got to throw him in at Fenway and try to make him pull the ball. And then at Yankee Stadium, you had to throw him away and try to make him hit balls in left field. But he started hitting homers in left field. So I'm like, I don't know like what to do now. You know what I mean? Like, and he started laying off the slider. Um, I started throwing him change-ups. He has such a good eye, man. Like, it's just incredible, especially being left-handed because I don't never have problems with lefties, and I had all the problems with him. As soon as you get in your head that you got to do something different, then you're already lost. You know what I'm saying? Like, like when he came up, I was already either one, you know, trying to get past him or just not give up a because even in like when you pace him in Boston and he even just got a single or a hit, like the crowd went ballistic, like everybody's going crazy. So. You're just trying to, like, keep him off the bases. You know what I mean? Like, it went from, like, not letting him hit homers to, like, not even letting him get in a hit because once he got on base and even, you know, it just ignited the whole stadium and the club and every the team and everything. So he was just such a huge part of, like, the energy in the stadium. Everything he did was big. But heading into the 2016 season, David Ortiz had been battling a lingering injury in his heel that just wasn't seeming to get better. And players at his age don't bounce back the way they do in their 20s. Poppy's marketing agent, Alex Radetzky. And he finally just kind of said to me, he was sitting in his backyard at his house and said, you know, he's like, bro, I'm done. No way, I'm done. You know, my feet are hurting. And he says, I'm definitely done. You know, that's it. Next year's my last year. My feet couldn't take it no more. I was having so much pain. I had this injury in 2012, like I played with it for the next four seasons. I mean, and I had to get three hours of treatment every day before I even think about playing baseball. And that wasn't every day. I got exhausted from, from it. That wore me out. And after every game, it was so much pain. It was, it was crazy, man. So that decision, that was easy. It was easy to make that decision. Well, that season, Big Poppy's 20th in the major leagues. What he ended up making look easy? 
was baseball. 2016 was a career year. At 40 years old, he hit 315 with 38 homers, 127 RBIs, and had a 620 slugging average to go along with a 1.021 on-base plus slugging average to lead the American League. It was absolutely remarkable. In addition to how well he played, the season was also a chance for so many players and teams to thank him for his contributions to the game and to bid him farewell, even those he competed so hard against. While some players are born to wear the pinstripes, still others are born to compete against the Yankees. Tonight, the Yankees would like to put that rivalry aside and take a few minutes to honor David Ortiz. When I retire, I have a lot of gifts, a lot of beautiful gifts from everybody, from the organizations, players, from everybody. But one of the most special gifts that I have and one of the most impressive gifts was a, a book, hand letter write from different players from the Yankees. And while I was going through all of them, I was reading the one that Jira, the captain, did, and he gave me good bumps. I'm going to read it to you now. It goes like this. David, it was an absolute pleasure watching and competing against you for all those years. The Yankee Red Sox rival is the greatest in all sport. It is a rivalry that I will forever miss and you were a huge part of it. I wish you all the best in retirement. Now it's time for you to relax. <laughs> Jira. My man DJ. Hero is a tricky word to introduce in any conversation, particularly in sports where at some point or another, you're bound to be disappointed by something that happens either on the field or off it, or both. But the truth about real heroes is that they're not perfect. They don't get a hit in every at-bat or hit a home run every time you want them to. It's just that their greatest moments are so great that you forget everything else, and that their stories can be so improbable that they make you reevaluate what you thought about how the world worked. What I'm saying is, Big Poppy didn't just bring three titles to Boston in 10 years after 86 years with none. He changed the way millions of people thought about what defines a true hero. First of all, our Mount Rushmore has expanded with all of these championships, so he's up there with you know, a Teddy Ball game, Bill Russell, Larry Bird, Bobby Orr, Tom Brady, and him. I think it's got to be those. And how many comebacks? How many playoffs were we down three? How many times were we down 3 1? Oh, three. I mean, he just, he just, it was so weird. Like, he turned 100 years completely around that when we don't come back now, I'm stunned. And, and look, for young kids, it's just that's all they know. But for someone like me, who is so jaded and had all these rituals, how I sit, I can't sit over there. If I sit over there, they're going to lose. I went through all of that OCD type stuff. I got to watch the game by myself in my apartment because they won the other game. 
And then the second they lose, I got to go somewhere else. I went through all of that crap. All of that. He ended all of that. He ended all of that. He made my sports world so much more enjoyable. I, I, you're just thinking like, we're going to win. We're going to win because we got this guy. Big Poppy. The Big Poppy mentality. I mean, he's the baddest designated hitter that this game's ever seen. The most feared, I think, left-handed hitter in that batter's box in his prime in a long time. When you're able to ask the question, you know, who's the biggest Boston icon? And you get in the names of the Bill Russells and the Tom Brady's and the, and the David Ortiz's and Bobby Orr's. I mean, you know, there's some dynamic company right there. So he's a winner. He's a champion. And a uh, pretty awesome career he put together from being non-tendered from the Minnesota Twins and coming over to the Boston Red Sox. This is a guy who has three rings, and uh, to me, that may put him at the top. Uh, certainly in the modern era, uh, our era now, uh, he is at the top. Um, and it's not only for what he has done on the field and in those great championships, but what he has done for his home country, the Dominican Republic, and his adopted city of Boston. Uh, it is all part of the package that is David Ortiz. I mean, I really think Boston would have won the World Series last year if David was just standing in the box, even if he didn't have to produce or anything, just standing there. People are scared to death to face him, especially in the postseason. I mean, this guy is the greatest postseason player ever. I mean, there's so much you can say, but the guy is scary. And he doesn't even have to hit a home run. The presence of David Ortiz in the box during the playoffs, no pitcher wants to face it. David Ortiz is absolutely a baseball legend. I can honestly say he's the most important Red Sox ever, and possibly the greatest. You know, there's a handful of people you can say. There's Yaz, there's Teddy Ballgame, there's uh, Pedro. But the most important Red Sox ever is David Ortiz for what he brought to Boston, what he brought to baseball. Well, he brought to the Dominican Republic. But the biggest thing is he's a bigger-than-life personality. I have to agree that David probably is the best Red Sox in history. David's legacy is pretty much set not only by his statistics or what he did on the baseball field, but you know also what he did off the baseball field. We're here in the Dominican supporting the kids that he's saving. He's saving kids' lives. To me, Big Poppy means uh, generosity. Big Poppy means large life. He is everything that he appears to be. He, by far, is one of the best teammates I've ever had. The baseball stuff, I get that's what everyone focuses on. But again, it's so much bigger than that. Just hear what Ben Charrington, the former GM of the Sox, said once to the Washington Post. Quote, just think about it. It all sort of seems normal now, but think back 20 years ago, or maybe a little further. But the idea of a strong-willed, strong-voiced, big, black Dominican man being by far the face of Boston sports? That wasn't always normal. Today, when I look out at the young players with the Red Sox, Rafael Devers and Wookie Betts and Jackie Bradley, and see how much they are revered by the young kids in Boston. I think that David Ortiz changed the Red Sox culture more than 
any figures in club history, and I believe that very strongly. Part of it is race, and part of it is winning. But it is that when you look at David Ortiz and you realize that 30 and 40-year-olds believe he is the greatest figure in Red Sox history. And when someone my brother's age immediately says, well, what about Ted Williams? They dismiss it. Now, you know, Ted Williams obviously was a great player, but it really says something about the changing nature. Boston is dramatically different now than it was in the 70s. I think that the impact of the change of how the Red Sox players are viewed is really on the back of David Ortiz. His place in Boston uh, is unmistakable. And anywhere he goes, that larger-than-life figure is larger-than-life because of what he did for the city, meant for the city, as much as hitting 541 home runs. The hard thing about that city is you grow up in Boston and you ask yourself, how many black players can we look at with pride without defiance and have them enjoy their time here and to have it be something positive without that cloud. David Ortiz absolutely created for a generation of fans a look that they hadn't had before. And that was a player of African descent who was your leader and that you wanted to be and you had very few controversies with, and that he was a guy who embraced wearing that uniform, and the uniform embraced him. With David, he's the first black player where you actually got the happy ending, where you got the whole story, and you said, yeah, he's our guy. In a lot of ways, you could make an argument that he's the bookend to Russell, the legend who came but was never quite comfortable, and now, 50 years later, you've got the legend who came here and made himself into a true Boston legend. Because when you look at those guys, when you look at the Boston Mount Rushmore, when you look at that pantheon, you've got Russell, you've got Orr, you've got Bird, you've got Brady. And the one black face in that Mount Rushmore pantheon didn't want to be there. So whereas you add a fifth face to that Mount Rushmore, from a, a racial standpoint, it's a better story. It's a happier story. It's a more hopeful story. David Ortiz did that for the city. I think that's really significant. He is one guy who came in start to finish and made that city something that it hadn't been before. He made them winners on the baseball diamond, and he, he created a pathway in a lot of ways. And I think it's just unique. I don't. That's why I don't want to place this on you know that, that David Ortiz is some sort of template because he's such a unique human being at a unique moment in time and a unique individual. I just admire him. He was a big part of the Boston identity as victors. And did he not fit the usual profile? Well, yeah, of course not. But then again, it wasn't anyone who fit the usual profile who brought those rings home. Uh, I certainly am proud of David Ortiz, and I'm proud of all that he's done. And, um, you know, and I'm proud of the kind of nobility and the kind of ethics that he um, embodies. I know what his legacy has meant to Dominicans and will continue to mean to Dominicans, and I know what his legacy has meant for Caribbeans and for Dominicans in Boston. I mean, for the 14 years that he was here, um, 
we felt like we had a champion and we felt that finally we had something of a home. To have something as extraordinary as David Ortiz in our lives uh, was no small thing. Since his retirement, people in Boston have continually wondered what Big Poppy will do next. The way he performed in his last season, there was talk for a while about him coming back. And with the social capital he has in the city, there's even been talk of him running for office. In the end, it's always hard to say goodbye to someone who has meant so much to so many. But for the player, who was always thinking about the next pitch, the next crucial situation to perform in, and the man always and still considering the next opportunity to make someone's life better. Now, for the first time, David Ortiz is looking back. He can reflect on the impact he's had on Boston and Red Sox Nation and all the lives he's impacted. And wouldn't you know it, when he does that, he sounds pretty grateful for all that happened himself. <laughs> I'm not going to be any mayor in Boston, man. I just, Boston is a place that is always going to be in my heart. You know, Boston embraced me. I try to do things the right way. The longest I play, I never got in trouble. You know, I have a really good career. I got out of the game the way everybody would like to get out of the game. To be honest, I haven't missed playing baseball, not for a day, to be honest with you. I enjoy watching the game, and I even tell myself, man, this game is hard when I watch it. You know, like, now that I'm not capable of going out there and do what I used to do, it's even harder. And everything I try to do, I try to do it for good because I feel so grateful about what God has been able to give me and what I have been able to provide for my family. While I played, while I was in the middle of everything, I never look over my shoulder. I never act like I was who I was or who people thought I was because that wasn't my thing. To me, that had no value. Which I think it have a lot of value for me is players just to begin with to be like, man, I miss David to be around. That means a lot to me because when people miss you, it's because you did something right. It's like when people don't want to see you, when people don't want to hear about you, you did something wrong. And that's all I hear right now, sitting at home, guys saying, man, I miss David. I miss having David around. I miss talking to him. I got some of my teammates calling me and trying to have me around and doing things here and there. Those are the things that I care about. I got kids, they're gonna grow up, who knows who they would like to begin to be at some point. I want the doors to be open for them because of the good things that I did. Numbers, always gonna be numbers. Memories are more important than numbers, I believe, because you can erase numbers, but you can erase memories. And to me, if people want to look at me that way, I would like more to do it just because of who I was trying to express myself that I am like than because of what I did on the field because I care about people too much. I want everybody around me to be happy. I want everybody around me to be good. 
I wasn't selfish when I played. I want everybody to do well. I don't care if you were the opposition. If I had to do something to help you because I see you, that you were struggling. I was that kind of person. I don't know. I mean, because at the end of the day, for you to be good, you got to be selfish. But I was good and I wasn't selfish. You know, how? I don't know. That's when my mom take place and my dad said, you got your mother genes because that's how she was. You know, that's how she was. And I won't call myself a legend. I will call myself a guy that did what he was supposed to do. I like to keep things simple. And I like to do whatever is the right thing to do to help people. you get up. <laughs> I've been sitting there I don't long think enough. I can. Yeah. <laughs>